So you have joined us, if you're joining us for the first time, um, in the middle of a series that we're doing. And um, the series that we're doing is called Authentic Joy. And it is based on, or it's actually fundamentally in, the book of Philippians. And today's message <laughs> is called, Jesus is my selfie. Jesus is my selfie. Now, um, I wonder if you can help me. Um, I didn't mean that to rhyme. Could you just move that projector so that the speaker's not in the way? Because I know it's just going to bother me. Sorry, I'm a bit funny like that. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Authentic Joy is the name of the series. And today's message is called Jesus is my selfie. <laughs> and um, hopefully that will make a bit more sense. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Um, if you have a, a manuscript copy of the text, like an ancient manuscript, you can pull out your paper Bible. You know, I feel like we need to go, we need to go back to our paper Bibles. Because I felt like when I used to have my paper Bible, not that I don't have one, I don't have it here, but I tended to read my Bible differently, and I also memorized scriptures and put circles around them. And I know you can do that in apps nowadays, but it's just a bit long, and it's a bit tedious. And um, so, yeah, I wonder if we need to get back to getting some paper Bibles. Maybe we should have a stack of them at the back. So hopefully, if you are going to turn, you're with me in Philippians chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 1 to 11. Now, how many of you know that we are living in the age of self, self-realization, self-assurance, self-determination, self-esteem, self-affirmation, self-appreciation, self-help, self-truth, self-truth, you know, like you got your truth, I got mine, what? Everything based on self, the age, I mean, you know, we're living in the age of the selfie, with self as the object. Um, someone gave a definition of a selfie and said it's instant visual communication of where we are, what we're doing. I mean, I nearly took one a minute ago, right, with, the, with baby Anaya. Um, where we are, what we're doing, who we think we are, and who we think is watching. We do, we do it in front of the mirror. We do it with selfie sticks. How many of you know smartphones have been, de have been designed particularly and adapted to accommodate the selfie? Women do it pouting. Right? <laughs> I don't get it. Men do it with their shirt off. Right? <laughs> Some men. Some men ought not to. Some minutes to keep their shirt on. Do you know how many selfies, I don't know how they come up with this figure, but how, do you know how many selfies are taken every day? 93 million. Every single day. And that's just the ones that are posted. You're not talking about the ones that you take and retake and retake and retake and all end up deleted. <laughs> right? 93 million selfies, particularly by millennials. Now, millennials, you guys know what millennials are. What's going on, Jimmy? You got the baby boomers um, who were born between 1946 and 1964. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. 
But you know if you're in that group, right? Now, I can say that. But I'm in the next group. You know what the next group is called? Generation X. Generation X. Is anyone born before? Anyone be born between 1965 and 1980? Now, that's me. I'm a Generation Xer. Then you've got millennials, right? And come back to millennials. And millennials are born between 1981 and 1996. Anybody in that category? Yeah, a few. All right, millennials. All right, well, I've got something for you in a minute. And then we've got the post-millennials. Post-millennials are born 1997 to the present, right? They, the post-millennials. Now, going back to the millennials. The millennials, right, they absolutely take, like, the trophy when it comes to selfies. Apparently, they say, millennials in the course of their lifetime, will take up to 27,500 selfies. Anaya, you were, you were the center of attention for half of the service. <laughs> she's, she's crying. Um, 27,500 in a lifetime, approximately. And females, apparently, between 16 and 25, spend five hours a week taking selfies. That's 40 minutes a day. Millennials, hey. Now, how many of you know um, selfies, not just millennials? Selfies are quite narcissistic. They're not only narcissistic, they're very dangerous. I don't know if you've heard this. Did you know in 2015, there were more deaths caused by selfies than shark attacks? How is that? People taking selfies, they get a bit too close to the edge. And end up like falling off of mountain. Have you seen some of them pictures? You see some of them guys up on them massive tall buildings, like real, 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 real high to the point where you're so high when you look over, you can see clouds. And they're up there taking selfies, you know. It's, that's a dangerous occupation. <laughs> Death by selfie, you know, trying to get too close to the action. More than shark attacks. Selfies have now been categorized as the new addiction. But selfies aren't actually a new phenomenon. I'm not sure if you're aware. The first ever selfie <laughs> was taken when? Well, technically it wasn't taken. It was painted. It's a self-portrait in a convex mirror. Again, the mirror thing's nothing new. By Parmigianino. 16th century. Hey. Where he, he, he in, in, in 1524, using oil on wood. Self-portrait. First selfie. And then the first photographic selfie, as we, as we know it today, was taken by a man called, a man after my own name, Robert Cornelius in the 1900s. Can you believe that? Now, uh, it's crazy. It's, selfies are nothing new, apparently. According to Time magazine, Makita City in the Philippines is the selfie capital of the world, followed closely by Manhattan and then Miami. Now, how many of you know, everyone loves an exotic selfie, right? <laughs> Including, apparently, NASA's astronauts. Did you know? Buzz Aldrin, during the Gemini 12 mission in 1966, so that's supposed to be Aldrin, not Andrin. There he is. Someone said, that's one small step for man, one giant step for self-portraits. 
And um, we talked a little bit about the ladies earlier. Apparently, women take more selfies than men. You know the, the statistic? It's about 65% female and 35% men. Speaking of women, Kim Kardashian. Mm. See, again, duck lips. What's with the, what's with the pouting? I don't get it. Um, this is a book that she published. And you see the title? It's selfish. I mean, just get straight to the point. This is what it's about. You know what I mean? Just call it what it is. She brought out this book. It's called Selfish. I had to crop the picture because it was a bit inappropriate. And the book predominantly is filled only with pictures of selfies of Kim Kardashian. That's all it is. And guess what? New York bestseller. 448 pages comprised entirely of our favorite selfies. Selfish quickly became a New York Times bestseller. And then, oh my goodness, if that, it's unbelievable. Then you know what happened? She then published an updated and expanded version. Like, you see the, the big gold sticker in the top left hand? More me. She's the, she's the queen of, and there's the pout again, the queen of selfies, the queen bee of selfies. Now, according to a recent survey, 68% of selfie takers, 68% admitted to editing their photos before sharing online. This number is up from 48% of people who admitted to doctoring their selfies in 2014. It's gone up 20% in like two years, between 2014 and 16, suggesting that the pressure to appear perfect has only increased. In 2013, selfie was named the Oxford Dictionary's Word of the Year. The word selfie, it may be a 21st century literary concoction, but the sentiment is as old as dirt. Right? So, Jesus is my selfie. If there were a subhead into this message, it would be the marks and the motives of selfless living. Um, before we jump into Philippians 2, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We're talking about selfies and thinking about even mirrors, Lord, and the temptation is always to be looking at ourselves. We've already done it a few times already this morning before we came out the house. And <sighs> Lord, thank you that your word is a mirror. Um, Lord, and as we look at it today, we pray that you'd help us to see the reflection that we ought. And sometimes it's not as pretty as we'd like it to be. And yet, Lord, in that very same mirror, in your word, you give us the tools, Lord, to change our appearance. Lord, would you allow that to become a reality today for all of us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Philippians 2, I'm just going to put the text up. It's quite tiny, so forgive me if, like me, you never brought your glasses. Um, Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11. And I'm using the NIV this time around. We normally use the ESV, but I'm using the NIV because it's just a, it's just a bit more helpful, I would argue. So verse 1, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, 
If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in human appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Since starting this book a few weeks back, um, we've heard Paul speak to these Philippian Christians or these Christians in Philippi, these believers, right? And he's talked about a few things. He's talked about their partnership in the gospel in chapter 1, verse 5. Because of your partnership, he says, in the gospel from the first day until now with him even. He talks about the furtherance of the gospel and the fact that They had served, again, in conjunction with him to advance the gospel, these believers. And he talked about their faith with regards to the gospel Um, in chapter chapter 1, verse 27. He talked about them standing firm in one spirit with one what? Oh, nearly. One mind. (laughs) Nearly. It was far from nearly. Um, One mind. Can you see that? Now, bear mind in mind. We're going to come back to it. One mind. Now, this is, I mean, it's a great message for the Philippian church, but it's also a great message for the church in London in the 21st century, as opposed to just the first century. It's a great message for Ecclesia, for us as a church, isn't it? Now, as we jump into chapter 2, we are going to see four examples of what what this humility that Jesus is going to particularly typify looks like. And he's going to use examples. He's going to use Jesus as the first example. Then Paul's going to use himself as an example. He's then going to use Timothy. And then he's going to use Epaphroditus as an example. And we'll see that over the coming weeks. Um, and, 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 And all of these have done exactly what he mentioned here. They had partnered They continued to further the gospel. They strived for the faith of the gospel. The Lord Jesus, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. Now, we want to study these good examples and then try to emulate them by God's grace. So starting off with the ultimate example, the Lord Jesus. And for Paul, his vision, his focus, if you like, his lens, his camera lens, his mobile phone camera lens is, is always fixed and pointed in the direction of Jesus. Jesus is his selfie. Now, let's look at the text under three headings, I hope. And um, first of all, motivation, 
humiliation, and then exhortation. So motivation, verse 1 to 5. Verse 6 to 8, humiliation. And then verse 9 to 11, exhortation. So first of all, motivation. Here Paul seems to be slightly concerned. As great as this church is, um, unlike some of the other letters that he's written, you know, so like to the church at Corinth and you know, saying the church at Galatia, he's rebuking left, right, and center. Not in this letter. This church seems to be a really, really great church, you know what I'm saying? But yet they still need correcting and, and warning because of potentially what could happen. And so do we, right? And Paul realizes that there are some Christians in Philippi that, that have succumbed to envy and some have succumbed to rivalry. We saw that a couple of weeks ago in verse, 17, verse 15 and verse 17. And he wants to safeguard these that he's writing to against this, against them being affected in similar ways. Hence the therefore at verse at the beginning of verse one. Like whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you know what you do, right? You need to back up and see what it's there for. But we've already done that. You know what I'm saying? By suggesting that there was drama and he was trying to safeguard these believers from that. And so um, verse one to five is one long sentence in the Greek, in the original language. And it starts off with if, 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 then. If A is true, if B is true, if C is true, if D is true, then. Then X, Y, Z should naturally follow if A, B, C, D is true. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united to Christ, and he's hoping that there is, he's actually... He's actually suggesting that there is. If there's any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, come on now. He says, if, verse 1 is true, then verse 2 and verse 3 should follow. Verse 2 says, then, based on verse 1, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. See, he's coming back to that again. He's actually said it twice, minded and mind. Talking about the thinking of these believers. Can you see how this speaks powerfully about unity? You know, you, like, we can be a great church. We can be a great group of people. We can, we can be a group of people who are benevolent. And I'm saying always giving and providing for others like this Philippian church, right? Really kind, philanthropic. You know what I'm saying? You could be a church that's partnering in the gospel, committed to the fervorance of the gospel, striving for the faith of the gospel. But you could also at the same time be a divided church. Not unified in the spirit and not like-minded. Paul says, on one hand, you're fantastic, but on the other hand, he says, I don't want to have half-hearted joy. What does he say? He says, make my joy what? Complete, full. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I want, I want a wholehearted, overwhelming and authentic joy. And could the Lord be speaking to us as a church? You know what I'm saying? Through this, of course he does. His word is to them, but it's also for us. 
Ecclesia, you've got great aspirations. You know, you want to be a healthy church, equipped to disciple, you know, faithful on mission. Hey. Creating helpful organizational structures, ordaining deacons, you know, and setting up the council, you know. Like you, Ecclesia, you've got a food redistribution service called barley loaves. Wow. Trying to meet the needs of the community. Ecclesia, you... You're running TLG, Lewisham, which is an independent therapeutic alternative provision. Hey, it's a school. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, TLG's got 18 students now. And because it's the spillover, because of the, the end of year, not just the end of term, we've got students who are doing their GCSEs. Like, we've got, correct me if I'm wrong, my sister Justina, 21 students but come September, it will go back down to 18. Ecclesia, boy, you're punching way above your weight. But with all of that going on, is there the danger that there could be possibly, potentially, an independent, self-gratifying, self-promoting, selfish, selfie spirit Could there potentially be envy and rivalry and bitter jealousy? I mean, unless you are perfect and not a sinner, which excludes and includes everyone in the room, right? You hear that and you say, you know, that we have to guard against that. If you know anything about your own heart, you know what I'm saying? And even before you look at anyone else or point the finger, how many of you know we all have got a propensity for envy? You know what I'm saying? And for jealousy. And not just, not just jealousy. The text talks about bitter jealous, je jealousy. Wow, it's real. We're sinners and we have that proclivity, don't we? Paul says, he says, come on now. He says, if verse 1 is true, and I'm saying, all that Jesus has provided for you that you've experienced since becoming a Christian, young or old, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, have the same spirit, being the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Can you hear the plea for unity? If verse 1 is true, then verse 3, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And that needed breaking down for me, although I've been reading the Bible for years. I'm like, hmm. Another translation very, very helpfully says, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Hey, I like that one. I mean, I don't like it, but I like it. I mean, because it's so true, isn't it? That's the message. Um, another version, the Amplified says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Notice, through factional motives or strife. And then we've got the New Century Version, which says, when you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Very helpful, I thought. How many of you know? How many of you know that's what the devil did? In Isaiah chapter 14, I mean, he's the one we, 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 we ain't trying to emulate. Isaiah 14, it says, mm -mm, how, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. 
how you are cut down to the ground. I mean, fallen, cut down to the ground don't sound good. Right? You who weaken the nations. Nations. Wow, sounds like he had some power. You know what I'm saying? Had some influence. You who weaken the nations. For verse 13. You have said, notice, in your heart. Often this stuff ain't kind of seen outwardly. Although it will come out eventually. You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. That's some Bible language for big things. <laughs> and if you notice, there are a lot of eyes in there. Someone said that there's no I in team, but I is in the middle of sin. See, who is the camera focused on? Himself, isn't it? Can you hear the pride, the vain glory, the exaltation of self? It's like the devil took the first selfie. Talk about Parmigianino in the 16th century. Yo, this goes all the way back before the beginning of time. Verse 14, I will ascend. Above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. Can you hear the envy? Can you hear the rivalry? Can you hear the jealousy? Verse 15, yet that ain't going to happen. You shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. We are... Never more like Satan than when we practice selfish ambition and pride. You've heard it said that pride goes before a, a what? Pride will. It's not true. It's not true. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 says a haughty spirit goes before pride goes before destruction. Verse 3 says, do nothing, you know. It's not like, oh, you can do some of this and get away with it. It's cool. He says, the man says in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do not let, as we saw earlier, verse 3, another translation, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Back to the middle of verse 3. Rather, can you see it in verse, middle of verse 3? Rather. This is the antithesis. In humility, value others above yourselves. I think I heard Selena read this last Sunday when we had um, one of the meetings with regards to the council and getting together. She read this verse and I was like, because I've been thinking about it since. I was like, oh, it's Philippians chapter 2. Huh, we're going to be looking at that next week. You know, was it last week? What day is it today? So, Today's not the day you should say that, right? Um, especially a preacher, right? A pastor. Um, trying to remember, but I think it was, it was last weekend. Have you heard of these new cinemas? I forget what they're called, but there's one in Crystal Palace where it's really different. Every man cinema. Thank you, sis. So you know what I'm talking about. They got sofas in there. You know what I'm saying? They got like table next to your sofa where you can put your glass of wine. You know what I mean? And, and then you have someone come out 
at the beginning of the film and he says, good afternoon, everyone. I'd just like to welcome you to Everyman Cinema. We're going to be watching blah, 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 blah. If you'd like a, a beverage or if you'd like some ice cream, just put your hand up. And, da, 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 and, we'll, and they literally serve you while you're watching. It feels like you're, live, you're in your front room. You know they had to switch it up, right? Cinemas had to switch it up with Sky and Virgin Media. Who, no one ain't trying to go cinema. Why? You've got 55-inch screen. Some, some of you might have 55-inch screen in your house and you know what I'm saying? <laughs> You got, you got your own, I'm not hating on 55. I wish I had a 55 inch. You got leather sofa in your yard. You got your Who wants to go sit? So they had to switch it up. They switched it up nicely. It's a really nice experience. And um, you can even pay monthly. We got this thing where you pay monthly and you can go as much as you like. Like, oh my God. Like, some of you have been blessed because I'll be like, you want to go cinema this week? No problem, man. Just holler me when you're ready. I'll just ping you the details and maybe that's not right. <laughs> What can I say? But we've been doing it anyway. And um, <laughs> like I've got my kids going sometimes, sometimes twice a day. Well, I mean, we're paying for that thing. So anyway, anyway, last week I took the liberty. And it's funny, I've only been twice since we've had it. We've had it about four or five months or something. I went last week and I went to see, guess what I went to see last week? I went to see Aladdin. Oi! Who's, who's been to see Aladdin, the new one? I recommend, yeah, you don't go to see Aladdin until you've seen the first one. And I said the first one, I don't even know, that's, that's not, probably not the original, there's probably a 1930s version, but the, the one with um, Robin Williams. You know what? When my kids were little, um, I didn't realize how much of that film I remembered. I was singing every single song. <laughs> and, and I took, so we got, two, we got two younger boys. Obviously, I've got older kids, and um, so they were there. And they're kind of watching it like, hey, okay, it's a film. I'm there. I, about four times, I had tears running down my face. <laughs> I got, when I tell you, I was so moved. And it was such a blessing because it was, it was on the back of Arsenal losing the, European, the UEFA. <laughs> Trust me, I needed some therapy, you know what I mean? And I'm there, and it was one, like Will Smith, you, you know sometimes Will Smith can overdo it a little bit. He smashed it. Oh my gosh. And they, they, had the, they had the original feel and even some of the lyrics of the original songs. And I was singing along like every, I was like, I was, how do I know these songs so well? It was an, it was an experience, man. What can I, Abu, the monkey. <laughs> the music, everything. Now, why did I tell that story? I remember, I, I actually do remember because I put it in my notes. Um, what's the guy, and the girl and the guy, what's the guy's name? Jasmine's the girl, what's the guy's name? Somebody help me. <laughs> His name is... <laughs> you know. You know, honestly, it's been a really long 48 hours. <laughs> I cannot lie. Aladdin... He's there with the genie, yeah? I remember he makes two wishes. He's got one wish left, and <clears throat> everything's just fallen to pieces. 
like he's been exposed that he's not really the prince and I'm not trying to, I can't mash up the film. I mean, everybody knows the film, right? And, um, and everything just looks horrible and he's got one wish left. I remember what he did. He promised the genie that he would set the genie free. He'd give him his freedom, remember? And then right, at the, right at that point where the genie's wondering, what's he going to do? He made that promise. Is he? And you know what? With all great character, Aladdin says, my third wish, I set you free. I wish, genie, for you to be set free. How many of you know that was unselfishness in all of its beauty? I mean, it's a Disney film. But who cheers you know, for the person who says, well, I've got one wish left. What did I, pr I promise you that I was, <laughs> psych. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and wish for what they want. Like, who likes that? Who enjoys that? Nobody does. Nobody does. See, if being in relationship with Jesus means anything, and you can testify of being encouraged since becoming a Christian and You've joined God's family, you've been adopted, you know what I'm saying, and you've got salvation. I mean, it's much more than Aladdin becoming, you know what I'm saying, the king of Prince Ali. Da, da, da. I can't remember the Aquabar. You know, Agrabah, even. Thank you, brother. How many times have you been to see it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Have you been through challenging circumstances and been a recipient of comfort and care through God's love? Then, verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationship with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I mean, you want to talk about Aladdin setting the genie free? I mean... How free have you been since, since the sun set you free? See, that's the mind of Christ, thinking of others before himself. Let this mind be in you, believers, which was in you, Robert, which was also in Christ Jesus. Can you see how verse 1 to 5 speaks about our motivation our next two points will be much shorter. We're going to look at humiliation and then exaltation. We're going to see Jesus lowering, you know what I'm saying, but, but then he's lifting. We'll look at Jesus embrace the cross, you know, but then eventually receive a crown, as it were. We'll see him giving up his glory, then regaining his glory. Watch how verse 6 to 8 now will speak about humiliation. Humiliation. The lowering, the cross, humility. Verse 6 picks up from the end of verse 5, which we've already read. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, now, I'm, 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 I'm amazed at how people still deny the deity of Christ, deny the divinity of Christ, at least from a biblical point of view. You can't read the Bible faithfully and come away with anything other than at least the depiction of Jesus is that he's divine. You know what I'm saying? Like Mormons, like he's the brother of the archangel Michael. Look, he's, sorry, he's the, yeah, he's the brother of Lucifer. 
in Mormon theology. Jehovah's Witness, another twisted perspective. He's not God, he's a God. Hmm? I mean, that's a bigger problem to me than the Trinity. The Trinity is complicated, but now you're telling me that there's two gods? Surely the Bible clearly says there's only one God. And then, obviously, those who are from a Muslim background would never see, see Jesus. He's a prophet, but he cannot be God. See, people who ought to know better, students of religion. I mean, fair enough, you may not agree, but you can't deny the extent to which the scriptures go to clearly proclaim Jesus as God. Remember Luke chapter 5? You've got a paralyzed man, and they can't get in because it's packed. So what do they do? They rip the roof off, and they climb in, and they put this paralyzed man in front of Jesus. Cut a long story short, Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's in the room like, wait a minute. Is this man mad? You can't forgive. How dare you? You can't forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. Right? And Jesus says, okay, which one's easier? To say your sins are forgiven you or rise up and walk? <laughs> Jesus says, rise up and walk. The man rises up. He walks. He picks up his bed. I mean, evidently proving that if he can tell him to get up and walk, and he does, maybe when he says your sins are forgiven, jeez. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is too much. John chapter... John chapter, John chapter 8. Remember Jesus, the classic. Abraham, oh, da, da, you know what I'm saying? Like, who are you? You're only 30 years old. Jesus says, Bridget, you don't get it, right? Bro, before Abraham was, I, I am. Now, you don't even have to be a theologian to get that one. But they knew their Bible. And they knew that in the Old Testament, it was God who said to Moses, Moses like, Lord, what am I going to tell them to send me? Tell, tell, them, tell them I am sent you. Me, God. So in Jesus, John chapter 10, this is one of my favorites. In John chapter 10, um, Jesus, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Verse 33. We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a mere man, claim to be God. Now, I suppose they weren't, they weren't posh English people, but... <laughs> it's the intimation. That's what I'm looking for. You know what I'm saying? And People say that Jesus in the Bible doesn't ever say that he's God. That's not true. And also, there are it's the, the New Testament and the Old Testament is replete with examples of Jesus. Remember Thomas? When he said, you know, I'm not going to... He's he's how can he be alive? No one can come back from the dead. I won't believe it until I see the, the nail prints in his hands. And there, he, Jesus, if you read the text carefully, they're in the upper room. The doors are locked. Jesus walks into the room. That means he must have walked through the wall. And there's Thomas, doubting Thomas, you know. Yeah, he's not no, doubting no more. And he sees Jesus, and what does he do? He, before he says anything, he falls to his knees, and then he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And the thing is, Jesus didn't say, Thomas, why would you say such a thing? Get up off of your feet. 
Now, now it's, now when you, when you, if you read your New Testament, you find that there are angels that appear to individuals and they're over old and new testament they're overwhelmed as they see the angel and they get on their knees the angel says bro don't do that i'm an angel worship god now you're gonna tell me jesus who ain't who ain't no half-baked prophet right you're gonna tell me if somebody bows down to jesus if an angel knows to tell people to get up i'm not god i'm sure jesus would know he did not rebuke Thomas. He received his worship. That's one of the verses that really helped me when I used to struggle with the Trinity. I was like, boy, if it's good enough for Thomas, good enough for me. <laughs> Skip Heitzig says, if Jesus wasn't God, he deserves an, 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 an Academy Award. Because Jesus acted like it. You know what I'm saying? He talked like it. Look again at verse 6. Jesus, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God. Oh, we ain't got time. Now, knowing that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh, watch Jesus is, it's crazy. If anyone has the right to say, I mean, walking, you don't even have to say nothing. Your swagger, your, sw your, your swagger would just say it for you. That's what you would expect. Jesus. Notice his humility. Did not consider equality with God, which he had, which he has, something to be used to his own advantage. I like that. That's why I use this translation. Another translation says he didn't see it as something to be grasped. You know what I'm saying? You don't, see the, you don't see Archangel Michael on one leg and the Archangel Gabriel on another leg pulling Jesus off his throne. Because he... Verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing. I ain't got time. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, this is talking about the incarnation, isn't it? This is what we celebrate at Christmas. The Bible says something about Jesus that is completely unique to any other human that ever existed. The Bible says Jesus came into this world. No other human being can say that. Like, how did you arrive here? You know what I'm saying? The last thing you're going to say is, well, you because if you came, and you've heard me say it before, then you would have had to came from, come from somewhere to came, Right? Like when we were born, that's when we began. It's not true of Jesus. Baby Anya, Anaya, baby Anaya, somebody help me. Baby Anaya, as beautiful as she is, just like the rest of us, very un-unique, very usual, very common, but not Jesus. He can't. No other human can say that. And we say we were born, which means we came into existence. This isn't true of Jesus. He existed before he was born. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, Here is a trustworthy saying, love this verse, that deserves full acceptance. And it's this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sounds like he was a man on some next kind of mission. We get to join him on that mission. Jesus existed before he was born. He enjoyed, notice, eternal relationship with God the Father, with God the Spirit, 
in the heavenly realms. I mean, what must, have, what must that have been like? What must that have been like? It must have been something special for the devil to covet, to envy it. Jesus ruling and reigning over his creation. Angels worshipping him. Why would anyone want to leave that? Answer. Because he wasn't thinking of himself. He wasn't thinking of himself. He's not that guy. He was thinking of others. We saw that back in verse 3 and 4. Rather in humility, Paul says, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Jesus would be like, you know what, there, there are sinners in, this, in that fallen world that need a savior. Jesus, he, he didn't... He didn't consider equality with God. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Another translation says that Jesus emptied himself. What does that mean? A few things. He emptied himself of his total privileges of deity. I mean, there's moments, you know what I'm saying, where you see Jesus work a miracle or knows what you're thinking before you speak, you know what I'm saying? Little flashes. But the total privileges of deity, I mean, Jesus was hungry. He needed to sleep. He felt pain. He was, he was restricted, you know what I'm saying? Not completely, but massively compared to what he was. Another thing that... Um, Jesus emptying himself meant was he emptied himself of his glory. Remember John 17? You read it right when I put it up. That's why I put it, took it off because you got distracted. John 17, Jesus said when he prayed that's his high priestly prayer, I've glorified you. Oh, this is really the Lord's prayer. I have glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, notice, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I owe that I had with you before I came, before the world existed. Another thing, so Jesus gave up his total privileges of, of deity. He gave up his glory. He also gave up independent authority. Remember Jesus says, Father, let this cup pass. Let, like, take this away from me. I can't do this yet. Not my will. Your will be done. Can you see him giving up his authority? Can you see him giving, giving up his independence there? Not my will be done, thy will be done. The devil now, not, the devil's like, no, not your will, my will be done. Did you know there's a satanic Bible? There's a satanic Bible, and you know the first commandment? Do as thou wilt. First, no joke, like, true stories. It's written by a man called Anton Zandor LeVay. Dark. Not your will, my will be done. The devil was a creature, right, who wanted the position of creator. Where Jesus is the creator, it's mad. And he's willing to become the creature, a man. The devil wanted to be something. 
Jesus was willing to become nothing. Which is actually an understatement. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, if that wasn't enough, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to death. And, it, and not just death, not just any old death, even death on a cross. Can you see the constant stepping down? The humiliation, the humility of Jesus. Jesus humbled himself, which is Paul's big point. See, and his question is, are you willing to follow Jesus in the same manner? Considering others before yourself. It's powerful. It's undeniably, I had a friend from Ghana, I used to work with in the, in the post office, he used to say, powerful, powerful. <laughs> it, isn't it? Verse Verse 6 to 8, hopefully you agree with me. It talks about humiliation. But now look at our last point, Jesus' exaltation. Verse 9, therefore God exalted him. And not even just, everybody get ready? No, just come up on stage. We want to welcome. This is a different kind of stage. Notice he exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that's above every name. And rightly so. And at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee should bow. Notice, this tricked me. In where? In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Verse 11, and every tongue acknowledge. <laughs> it's like, this is completely exclusive. You know what I'm saying? In its, in, in its inclusivity. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, <clears throat> in this world, we've already said, most people follow the prince of the power of the air, the prince of the power, the prince of this world in their attitude and disposition, right? Selfish, self-obsessed, arrogant, proud, pushy, hashtag selfie, right? But honestly, as Christians, are we any better? Quick to point the finger at others. And we're not very Christian when we do that, when we don't realize <clears throat> that we're just as bad. And Paul knows that although we've been saved by grace, we're still very sordid and spiteful and sinful. You know, Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. And if we deny our sinfulness, that's a problem. That's a, that's a hallmark. See, our sin proves that, that we have the proclivity to be more like the devil than Jesus. If the truth be told. And we, and we need to know that. And rather than be high-minded, be lowly in mind and humble. Because the Bible says... What does God do? God gives grace to the humble. But if you're proud, you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. First Peter chapter 5 says, as we get ready to finish, likewise, you younger <laughs> ain't got time. Likewise, you younger people, 
Submit yourselves to, the, to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. It's, I, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself. It's, it's like two plus two is four, minus one, that's three. It's quick maths. You know what I'm saying? Right? It's like God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the... Yo, choose the humble. You know what I'm saying? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the might... No, it's under the mighty hand of God. Look, that he may exalt you in due time. Sound reminiscent of the Lord Jesus, the ultimate, the ultimate example, right? Okay, so exalt myself and I'll be humbled. Humble myself and I'll be exalted. The way up in the kingdom is down and the way down in the kingdom of God is up. We live in an upside down kingdom, right? And our ultimate, our ultimate example is the Lord Jesus. Talk about a step down, but then an incredible step up in his exaltation. Something real quick. Crazy. When Jesus was born, he was given a name, wasn't he? I, I gave it away. What was his name when he, at his birth? Emmanuel, God with us. There's another deity verse for you. But he shall be called Jesus, right? Jesus. <clears throat> when he was resurrected, what was he called? We heard it from Thomas. My Lord, regarding the resurrection, watch this. Regarding the resurrection, this is Peter in Acts 2. God has raised this Jesus, remember the one that, got, that, that, that you crucified? <laughs> God has raised him. It's like your worst nightmare. God has raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven because he's the one he's going to quote. And he said, the Lord said to my Lord, if you like, the Father said to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your end. I mean, it's where you sit anyway. It's, where, it's, your, it's, your, it's your throne. No one, can, no one else can take it. That's why Jesus could walk away from it. Who's going who's gonna to go and sit in Jesus' chair? Are you nuts? You know what I'm saying? All the angels, they know better. Well, most of them knew better. Anyway, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Like, what does that mean? Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. The one who's a baby born, Nazareth, Bethlehem, I mean. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, the man. He's made him both Lord and Christ. He's the Messiah. See that at his death? Lord. Mad. And then, with reference to the every tongue above the earth, in the earth, under the earth, Revelation chapter 5 for you, and then we pray. Then I looked, says John, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. Where is this? It's in heaven, Right? The living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. The who? The lamb, which is who? Jesus. Worthy is Jesus, the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength 
and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature, excluding none, every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that, is, all that are in them, I heard them saying, blessing and honor and glory and power. That's a song. Be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let me invite the team to come as we pray and conclude. Lord, Lord, we can safely say we have never had a friend, never had a friend. We have never had a friend like you. The power that you wield, the power that you, that is you, that is yours, is terrifying as we look out at the universe and beyond that which we cannot see. Lord, you're incredible. You are the one, literally the one who span galaxies into existence. And I think in Genesis, it just says, in the creation, blah, 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 and God made the stars. Like half a verse to, de to describe the, the creation of the universe. Lord, you're too much. And not only are you too much in your power, but Lord, you're too much in your humility. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Lord, this is the greatest story that's ever been told. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling. It's mind-blowing. That you, knowing who you are, would become a human, become a man. And not just become a man, if that wasn't you being humble and lowly and condescending. But then become a man who would go to the, who would, who would, who would die and die a horrific death on the cross. And all because... You considered others before yourself. Father, thank you for this wonderful song, which is what it is in Philippians 2. This creed that Paul quotes and uses it to be the encouragement, to be the motivation for us who follow Jesus to do likewise. Lord, we see it, we get it. <laughs> but Lord, we need the power that comes by your spirit to, to walk in it to not walk in our flesh it's so tempting to do that it feels so good to put ourselves first and to be selfish and to be high-minded and to be proud and arrogant that just comes we're like ducks to water when it comes to that but lord to be unselfish father would you help us like paul to make jesus our selfish i pray amen Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.